Today's message is from our Get in the Game series. In this series, we're learning how God has given every believer a gift. We believe that gift has the greatest impact when used through the local church. Prepare your heart for an exciting word from God. We hope you enjoy the message. Are there any sons and daughters in the house this morning? Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to continue in worship as we look into God's Word. I wanted to just... Uh, and it, we know that the Holy Spirit doesn't need our welcome to be here if the sons and daughters are here because where two or three are gathered. And I can tell you, I don't know if you're good at math, but there's a whole lot more than two or three here. And so we just want to pray this morning and welcome um, just, just, a, just a greeting to the Holy Spirit as we go into God's Word. So if you will pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here one last time at Clinton Physical Therapy Center. We thank you for those who are here this morning that are sons and daughters of you. And uh, we're so grateful, God, that we can come boldly before you. We're so thankful that a church can gather anywhere because it's always about the people of you, not the places where you reign, Lord. And so this morning, we know that you do not need an invitation to be here, but we do say with open hearts, open minds, um, we, we just welcome you with hearts of acceptance. We want to receive you. We want to receive the message that you have for us, and we want to continue in worshiping you because you are worthy of that. It is in Jesus' name we pray, believe, ask, and seek. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hey, listen, I don't know if it's because I was sitting closest to the speaker up here, but my dang heart was just beating a second ago when we were seeing that sons and daughters because what a powerful message that is for those of us who are in Christ. If you're here this morning, you're a first-time guest, or you're just kind of seeking out your faith, or maybe you're here with someone and you're a little skeptical, I wanted to let you know that you're in a safe place this morning. Because from day one, I've tried to, um, along with our volunteers, create a church where you could belong before you believe. And I know that's not maybe how you were raised. You had to be a member, and you had to do this, and you had to do that, but this isn't your granny's church. We welcome you, granny, your granny here this morning, but we are trying to create a place where you can belong before you believe. Would that be okay with anybody? Because, yeah, amen. Go ahead, celebrate that. So we're trying to create a place where um, everybody truly is is welcome here. And uh, we say this at City Lots, that I know that we are not the church for everybody, but I know this, that we are a church for anybody. No matter what your spiritual background, no matter where you're at on your faith journey, that this is a place for anybody. And so we just welcome you here again this morning. We're in this series called Get in the Game, and we've been in this. This is a week three today. And the whole idea behind this um, Getting the game series is. I don't know if you know this or not, but I know our people are fired up that next week we're going to a permanent location. Amen. We've seen God be faithful, and so we're challenging people to get in the game with us to help us to continue reaching our community, uh, to reaching outside uh, communities outside of Clinton, and um, we've got a, a big vision, I believe. We've got a big vision. We, in the next five years, we want to plant five more churches or another campus, and so I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that if you get in the game with us, you're not coming to a church that just wants to build our kingdom here. We want God to build his kingdom here, and, and here is Clinton, it's Andersonville, it's Campbell County. You know people need Jesus up in Rocky Top, so we're praying for them. We want to plant churches up there. No offense. Kind of, but not really. I love Rocky Top. It'd always be home sweet home to me. Um, I'm full of it this morning. That stuff's not even in here. I'm just full of it. But we, we want to challenge people to get in the game with us. And so what that means is at City Lights, we believe three things. If this is your home church, so if you're a guest this morning, I want you to hear me, but this, you can kind of sit on the outside of this. This is no pressure for you unless the Spirit speaks to you. Um, we think it's three things. If this is your church, you say, I'm your pastor, City Lights is my church, and that's three things that we, we're asking from you. That's your time, 
It's your talents and your treasure. And when I say time, I don't just mean physically. I think, yes, you should be serving, but I mean time emotionally through the week. Are you dreaming big things for your church, John? Are you dreaming about what God's going to do? Are you praying for your kids and the city kids teachers? Are you giving us emotional time? Your talent is, we talked about last week, everybody in here has a gift. Everybody has a gift, according to what the Apostle Paul said. And um, so are you using your talents for God? Uh, maybe you're not a singer, but you're super organized and you can do some administrative stuff. Or maybe you're a carpenter like Jesus and Lord knows the church needs carpenters, especially as we've been working on this building. So we all have gifts and we're challenging you to get in the game with us because we are contributors. We are not consumers, right? We contribute. We don't consume. And then lastly, your treasures. We believe that that's generosity. And we've talked about this from day one of this church. If you're a regular attender here, then you've heard this. Generosity is not about the amount you give. It's from the heart you give. One person can give less and give more generously than the person who gave more. Amen? And so we believe it's your time, your talents, your treasures. This week we're in part um, three. I want to ask you a question. Who is competitive in here? Some of you. Okay, so we have a bunch of like, okay, cool, that's fine, that's good, I can work with that. Who would say, just to see if you're even participating, who's not competitive? Okay, a lot of you are not participating. <laughs> or you're lying. I'm extremely competitive. As I'm getting older, it's kind of subsiding a little bit, but I am a little um, competitive. My wife and I, from time to time, and we used to really be into it, and we, we still are a little bit, but we've had some pretty serious bouts of Scrabble in our house. Any Scrabble fans in here? Like, I, I mean, I don't even know where she gets some of the words she comes up with, and I look them up, and like, it's a legit word. And then I get mad because I lose, and she gets like a triple word score, triple letter score, then you combine them, and it makes like a quadruple, you know, something. And so, like, she gets like 75 points on one word, and I'm over here trying to spell out what and that and cat and dog. And we've been pretty competitive, and there's been times where, most likely, probably me, that I needed some counsel from someone after a game of Scrabble. It's because I'm just that competitive nature. Who likes to win? Who hates to lose? Yeah, I think that's part of our culture, right? Because we reward winners. If you work hard, you get a raise, you get a promotion. Um, if you work hard, you get notoriety or fame and fortune. I mean, some of these, some of these guys in, in the NFL that work really hard, that are very competitive, they make millions and millions of dollars. Just un unbelievable money. They get to take these opportunities, trips that most people would never get to. Winning is celebrated in our culture. Really, it's kind of, it is subsiding a little bit because you know this, we had this, this new age of like, right, everybody gets a trophy because they just, they put on a uniform and played two minutes of the basketball game, even though the game was 45 minutes. I'm hurting some of your, listen, I'm a millennial too, and some of you millennials shouldn't be acting like I just hurt your feelings by saying that, okay? But we, the, the, the culture's changing a little bit, but generally speaking, we like people who are driven. I don't know, I don't know anybody that's ever wanted to follow somebody lazy. Have you? I mean, you don't. You complain about them. We don't want to follow lazy people. We want to go after those who are winning. And that's what we're talking about today in uh, part three of this message. Get in the game. Part three, winning. So, in 2011, there was an NFL team, the New York Giants. Any Giants fans in here? One, two, one, one. Well, that's good. You're not, you're not alone. I, I like the Giants, too. Um, if nobody else raised my hand, I probably wouldn't raise my hand, though. Um, 2011, the NFL, uh, NFL, New York Giants, they had a terrible record going into the postseason. They had a 9-6 and six record, okay? Excuse me, 9-7. and seven. This is 2011. And somehow, by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, chin, 
they make it to the playoffs. But in 2010, they had a record of 10 and 6 and didn't get in. And so they get into the playoffs. Anybody ever heard of Eli Manning? It's Peyton Manning's younger brother. He's playing for the Giants. It's 2011. And they get into the playoffs, and man, they, they with basically just a terrible record, a fluke. They go on, they beat the Atlanta Falcons. All right, so the next round. They beat the Green Bay Packers. All right, there's some momentum going. Um, then they beat the San Francisco 49ers win the NFC Championship to go on that year. Does anybody know who they played in the Super Bowl that year? Patriots, yeah, a couple sports fans. They play the New England Patriots. The NFL, uh, excuse me, the, the New York Giants, they were the only team in NFL history to go to the Super Bowl with a negative point differential. What I mean by that is all year long they had scored 394 points. They allowed their opponents to score 400 points. So that's a negative six point differential. Does that make sense? Some of the women were like, just get on with the message, Pastor. We're not really into football. This, where's the Jesus? That's why we came for this morning. Well, hang on just a minute, Ancy. Let me tell the story. They go in, and really it's just this terrible team. They get to the, they, they get to the, uh, the Super Bowl, and the Patriots had an undefeated season. Now, there's something that happens in this game that really becomes history. Um, the, the Giants would go on to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, but there was a pass that Eli Manning made that became basically worldwide known history. Um, Eli is scrambling on this play, Peyton Manning's younger brother, and he avoids three sacks, Throws it up in this picture. Who remembers this? It's known as the helmet catch. It's David Tyree. He catches it on the back of his helmet. He comes down, lands, receives it. They go on to score the winning drive. Pretty just an, an incredible catch. This is called the helmet catch, and here's what I wanted to say about this. All year long, the Giants were just kind of like, not really that good. But they won when it mattered the most. Right? Have you ever been in those situations where like things haven't been really going good, and then somehow you pull through at the end? You're like, I don't know how I made it, but I did. They won when it mattered the most. Pull up the next picture. Tell me, tell me if you know who this is. Just say his name. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Yeah, Mike Tyson was a professional boxer. For those that don't know, really he was bad to the bone. I mean, he had he had some some shady things that he did, and uh, you know, just made some mistakes like we all do. By the way. Um, he had 58 professional fights. Two were no contest. He won 50, lost six. Now listen, out of those 50, he knocked out his opponents 44 times. It's a pretty incredible record. I, this is how I said it in our volunteer service. If you're not familiar with boxing or know what KOs are, imagine you got in a fight 50 times and 44 times you got knocked out. Okay, That's not a good record. You probably need to put the gloves up if that's what's happening to you. <laughs> Just man, he was bad to the bone. And in his prime, in his prime, he started making, 20, listen to this, $20 million per fight. That's big money. Now, here's what you have to understand, that they prepare months at a time for these fights, months at a time, months at a month at a time, training and training. And, and, and this fight, you know, would last, what, 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour, depending upon how many rounds, and he'd make $20 million. His downfall, though, was that he was spending it just as fast as he was making it. At one point, his net worth, he was pushing upwards $300 million, $300 million, and still making money. In the early 2000s, though, it was reported that he was over $20 million in debt. So we were saying this morning, like, if you got a car loan, you own a house, some credit card debt, you should feel a little bit better about your debt, and unless anybody here owes $20 million, which I don't know if you do, but um, this dude just made a lot of bad mistakes. Now, I want to say this. He's since rebounded a little bit and has more money than probably all of us can buy, but compared to what he used to have. In 2014 and 15, anybody know an actor, comedian, singer, songwriter, Jamie Foxx? 
he went, it was chose to do like a biography of Mike Tyson. And he went and interviewed Mike Tyson. And he goes to his house, and it's just Mike and his daughter there. Jamie refers to it almost as like a single dad feeling. He said they're sitting in the living room, and uh, his, his daughter comes in and was like, hey, Daddy, can I go outside and play? And Mike Tyson said, yeah, I want you just to stay in front of the window, though. How many parents are in here? Why did he want his daughter to stay in front of the window? So he could see her. And so Jamie describes this no longer this beast mode, but just this humble man with his baby. And they begin talking about the finances, and, and Mike talks about how he's lost a lot of money. And Jamie Foxx said, does that bother you that you had hundreds of, million, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and now your net worth is nowhere near that? And Mike Tyson said, no, it really doesn't, because now people aren't bugging me. They're not using me. They're not trying to take things from me. He said, I'm alone, but I'm okay, because I don't have the pressure of people always wanting something from me. Now, we might look at Mike Tyson and say, man, he's, he's losing, right? But he would say, I'm actually, I'm winning. I'm winning. And so just for the remainder of our time, the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about this idea with you this morning, that winning is not always what I think it is. Winning is not always what I think it is. In our culture, particularly in our faith, this is where I want to connect the dots back to our faith, we feel like winning is things like this, that I show up to church faithfully on time, or that I just show up at all, for that matter, for some of you, that I show up, that I pray every now and then, that I try to share my faith, or that I try to live right, Crystal, that I try to do good things, that I try to follow teachings that Christ says that I should. Or sometimes we take it even more deeper into a more like pharisaical behavior that I'm quoting Scripture, that I'm you know, reading my books, uh, uh, my Bible a certain amount of time a day. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but you make it a system and not your Savior when you're, when you're just following those things. And so I want to introduce this thought to you that winning is not what you think it is. And I bet, because I like to win, <laughs> see what I did there? That by the end, in just a few moments, you'll have a different perspective on what winning truly is. Now, we're going to just look at two scripture this morning. Two scripture, that's all we're going to look at. And I think it's going to answer the question, then what is winning? Because if it's not what I think it is, if it's not what my... Um, Mom taught me, if it's not what my dad, if it's not what my Sunday school teacher taught me, if you're here this morning and you're not really into Christ, you're just kind of just figure this thing out for yourself, then maybe it's not what culture tells you it is. Then the next logical question must be, Pastor, okay, then what is winning? What is winning with my faith? And we're going to look at two scriptures. They're very simple. One of them, I guarantee you, a majority of you have heard. Many of you could probably quote it if you're here this morning or you're listening under the sound of my voice and you're not even really a Christ follower you probably know what it is. You've at least heard it. The second one hardly ever gets mentioned, and I'm not sure why, but we're going to look at both of them, and I think we're going to answer the question then, what is winning? If it's not what I think it is, then what is winning? So the first one I want to look at is John 3.16. John 3.16. It says, For this is how God loved the world. Say the second word with me. He gave Let's try it again. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. gave. Hey, listen, if you've ever wanted to, newsflash, if you've ever wanted to know what the heart of God is like, it's a giver. The heart of God is a giver. The heart of God is a giver. A couple, let's see, I guess about a week and a half ago, my little girl, I've got a daughter named Harper. She turned five. And then on Tuesday, my little boy will be two. And... Um, for my daughter's birthday, we got her like, she's really super into Barbies. It's like ridiculous. 
Like, we could plant a church based off all the barbers she has. I mean, it's just crazy. We got her, like, this little, um, like, a Volkswagen, what it is, like, a little Beetle with a, uh, a Barbie in it. It is, like, a good size, you know. And she's sitting there opening the present, and my son's right beside her, and basically his eyes get just as big as hers, you know, it's her gift. And she's like, I love it, you know, anything Barbie she loves, anything Barbie she loves. And so she pulls it out, and she's having me open it, and he's, like, standing right there on top of me. And I can tell a battle's fixing to ensue, you know what I'm talking about, like, it's fixing to be bad. And so, I mean, and she's just had the present, like, two minutes, and he starts fighting and whining and wanting it, and, you know, we're like, Jude, not that he really understands, we're like, this is his present, you know, it's not yours. He doesn't care, right, he doesn't care. And so we get it out, and she sees that he wants to play with it. And I love this. She understands how bad he wants it. And she said, here, Bubby, what we call him at home, you can play with it. She gave it to him. And in that moment, I saw the heart of God. Because the heart of God is a giver. And we get it so wrong in the church sometimes. We feel like God is one of those people up there, JB, it's like, is he going to throw lightning bolts down if I sin? Or I let the F word slip. Is it, I mean, is it coming? <laughs> or we feel like he's a God of revenge. It's like, is, is it, we want to know, Kim, like, does, is God going to get me back for deliberately sinning? Like, this has to be from God because I know I wasn't living the way I was supposed to. He's got to be getting me back. But that's not who he is. That's not his heart, Nick. He, the heart of God is a giver. He is a giver. It's the good news. He's a giver. He's a giver. So, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. Now, I love this translation. Now, listen, I didn't even really grow up in church, but when I memorized this scripture, I learned the old King James Version. I, you know, for God so loved the world, He gave His only... But how many of you this week have said, I love my only begotten wife right here? That's my begotten wife, by God, and by God, and begotten. Hallelujah. So I love this translation because it breaks down it in a way that we can understand. He gave His one. One. That was it. That was it. That was all He had. He gave His one and only Son. Why? Why did He give His one and only? So that, say it with me, everyone. Hey, listen. Everyone. That neighbor you can't stand that family member who drives you crazy, that addict sitting down at the jail, or the one that calls you every day wanting to bum money. Everyone. <clears throat> your ex. Your worst enemy. Everyone. The gospel is for everyone, and that's what we believe here at this church. I've said this a thousand times. I need to quit saying that because I know somebody's here for the first time they've never heard it. That's like my guilty like, conscience saying, okay, come up with something new, Pastor. But Todd Agnew, the Christian recording artist, he sings a song, My Jesus Wouldn't Be Welcome in Your Church Because He Might Get Bloodstains on the Carpet. For some reason, we personify Jesus as this soft man who was just loving and comparing, and that he was. But he came so that everyone, and I don't really know that I can do a good enough job describing who everyone is, but it's the person you hate the most. It's the person that you can't forgive. It's the person who hurt you. It's the person who cheated on you. It's the person who stole from you. It's the person who lied to you. It's the person that makes you the angriest. That's who Jesus came for. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. He came so that everyone who believes in Him, believes in Him, listen, will not perish 
but have eternal life. That right there is the heart of the Father. That's the heart of God. Now, I know that when you read Scripture and you look at the Old Testament and you see all these wars and battles going on you're like, and you're trying to make sense of it, and you get confused when you see like this like softer side in the New Testament, there's like this battle raging on in the Old Testament. This is the heart of God right here. If you are a son and a daughter, he's a giver. He's a giver. Now, everybody, majority of people know this scripture right here, John 3, 16. We know it in and out. Many of us can quote it. If we can't quote it, we're like, yeah, I've heard that before. But I'm not sure why we don't ever go to the next verse because it's just as good. It's just as good as this one. This is John 3, 17. And we talked about this uh, too earlier in our volunteer service. Jesus is speaking here, and Jesus is like the only person that can speak in third person because anytime else somebody else does, it's just weird and creepy and arrogant. Like if I was like, you know, Peyton doesn't like for his kids to argue. Peyton doesn't like that. I was like, well, Peyton needs to be punched in the mouth because he's a little weird for talking like that. But Jesus can. It says, God sent his son into the world, say it not to judge. Ah, wait, hold on, hold on. So, but isn't there going to be like a judgment seat or something like that in Revelations? There's going to be a judgment throne or something where we're going to be judged for our sins. So here we go again then. We see, all right, well, there's something going on here, and I want to just tell you this morning, if you're a student of the Word or you're getting into studying, there is tension in Scripture, but there is never contradiction, okay? There's tension, which mainly means you have a lack of understanding, and that's okay because it's a complicated book. But there is never, it never contradicts itself, Joe. It never contradicts. So what we see here then, you have to go to what we call like the original language here uh, to do a little context of the word. And so in this, in this uh, idea right here, what Jesus is saying, remember, he's speaking to a lot of, um, uh, he's speaking to, there would have been Pharisees around, these legal people, these people who understood what he said in context here. They would have understood this word. So here it, it, it's this idea of like a courtroom judge. If you've been convicted of a crime, uh, if you've found yourself guilty, uh, and Jesus knows that we're all guilty of sin, every one of us. You go to the courtroom, and you get handed down a sentence, which is in a lot of ways a punishment for your crime. Does that make sense? So what Jesus, what you could, real, what you could say it like this is Jesus saying, God sent His Son into the world not to punish the world, like so many of us think. Like God, He's got to be after me. God's after me. God's after me. I cut that person off the other day in traffic, and... I even wanted to flip him off, and he knows my heart, so I know I'm getting ready to be punished. God sent his son into the world not to punish the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son not to punish us. That might be a little bit of shock to some of you. But he came to save us. Other translations, I like the Holman Christian Standard Bible, say that he did not come to condemn us. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. God sent his son into the world not to punish it, not to judge us, not to hate us, but to save us. But to save us. Are you familiar with the story of um, Jesus being on trial with Pilate and Barabbas? Towards the end of Jesus' life, he gets put on trial, and um, you remember Pilate orders him to be beaten. 
And we know, like history tells us, that the Jesus was Jesus was barely was barely 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 even recognizable. Um, in that time where Jesus is with Barabbas, Pilate says, "Hey, it's a custom for us to release a prisoner." And he's like, basically, Jesus or Barabbas. Jesus or Barabbas. You choose to the people. And you remember what the crowd chants? Barabbas. Barabbas. And do you think in that moment, how do you think the disciples felt? Don't answer out loud. I just want you to think internally. How do you think the disciples felt in that moment? Because here's what's amazing about that as well. When they're chanting Barabbas. Barabbas. And some of you know this because you're probably smart, but... Barabbas, Bar means son. Abbas is actually Abba, his father. And so what the crowd, and here's the son of God, and then here's this criminal who's guilty of his sins and murder and just being a, a rebellion. His name is Barabbas, and the crowd is chanting Barabbas, and he's standing next to the son of God and the son of the father. And what the crowd is really chanting is, release the son of the father. But only it's the wrong son. That's how we look at it. Some of, someone say, they released the wrong son that day, Sean. It was the wrong one. And Jesus spoke nothing because he had a plan for it. Because he came to save us, save us, not to punish us. Right? He gets beaten and he's on his way to basically what we call, if you're old school, we call it Calvary. Or it's Golgotha. But they take him to this hill that's in public in front of the whole town. He's carrying his cloth, his, his, his own death instrument. He's naked, he's beaten, he's bleeding. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. They're mocking him for being the king. And they raise him up after nailing him to the cross. Do you think it's fair to assume in that moment the disciples said, man, we've lost? Yes or no? Yes. It's fair. Now Jesus is on the cross there and if you understand the, the death of crucifixion, basically what happens is it's a horrible way to die. You begin to suffocate from the weight of your own body. You, the best way I know how to describe it is you ever been at the bottom of a piggy pile-up? Honestly. And you start like panting. You're like, get off, get off. You're like, I can't breathe. Imagine being like that. But there's nobody to get off of because it's your own weight of your chest bearing down on your lungs and you begin to breathe deep and short until he breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. It's a gruesome way to go. Do you suppose in that moment when they saw him take his last breath and then, then the guards who were standing there, they take his spear and stab him in the side just to make sure he's dead. Do you think it's fair to assume that his disciples thought they lost right then? Yes. And then what happens, they see him, he, he gets taken down and he gets put in the grave and they roll this massive stone that were taken, taken numerous men to push in front of it. And they're like, this is it, Adam, this is it. Is it fair to assume that they felt like in that moment they had lost? See, but here's the good news. Here's the good news is back then, they didn't understand what we know now. See, because Jesus wasn't dead, He actually went to the depths of hell to defeat your sin and conquer death so that He could be raised in life. And I wanted to tell somebody, go ahead and celebrate and give me some credit if you want to. I wanted to tell
tell somebody this morning who feels like that from 2016, you feel like you're in the grave, something happened. It was a financial situation. It was a loss. I don't know. It was a mental breakdown. It was a health issue. I don't know what it is. And you feel like, Pastor, I'm stuck in the grave and I feel like I'm lost and I can't remove this tomb. Well, I wanted to tell you that the same power that raised him from the grave, if you're a son and daughter of God, lives in you and you don't have to walk around that way anymore. Why? Because here's what I want to tell you. It's our bottom line. We call it a sermon and a sentence. Winning is what Jesus did for me. Though you feel defeated, it's not in vain if you're sitting in this grave because I wanted to tell you in just a matter of time you'll get up. If you'll rise up, you will be winning. And we said this earlier that I know like this can feel conceited and it can feel arrogant and kind of cocky. But like, all right, if you're a son and daughter of God, you're a child of the Most High King. And if you ever doubt that, Romans 8, 16 says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. So you don't have to look for things in the world for assurance. You just ask the Spirit to remind me that I belong to you. Are there any sons and daughters in here this morning? I wanted to tell you that you're winning. That you may feel hopeless. That you may feel defeated. But it's not about you. Man, it's never about you or what you do. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. It's freely given. You're a winner. Jeremy, because of what he did for you, not anything you could ever accomplish. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. Because see, we live in a world where we feel like it's up to us, like I have to get this back, or I have to win this, or I have to do this, I have to do that. And there are some things that you have to do in this realm, but in the heavenly realm, it has nothing to do with us. We are just his sons and daughters because he chose us. This morning, you did not wake up, I don't want to burst your bubble, but you did not wake up and say, hey, I'm going to go worship the Father without the Father first being in you. You're here because he prompted you. So we are winners as we march forward as a church into a new season. As this season ends today, anybody fired up about what's going to happen tomorrow, the next week, and next Sunday? We are winners. Thanks for listening to today's message. We'd love to stay connected with you through the week. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at City Lights AC. Thanks again, and join us soon.